Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Skyping's So this week's guest has been in the news recently um, for something that we're not really going to be giving energy to today because we are going to be talking about something even more important, which is her experience uh, as the mother of an autistic child. And this is something that we've never broached on this show uh, because it's just kind of not been in my circle. But nonetheless, it doesn't mean that it isn't a topic that is valuable. And I think specifically uh, as it relates to particularly like Black children and the uniqueness of being an autistic Black child, particularly in a world where we are just seeing, you know, continuous police brutality that ignores the uniqueness of people's um, mental capacity and, you know, just their abilities. And so, you know, Holly Robinson, Pete, we know from the nineties, you know, we know from the eighties, from 21 jump street, we know from hanging with Mr. Cooper, but she has been doing an incredible amount of work with her Holly Rod foundation around autism for years after her son, RJ was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. And so today she's joining us to uh, really just give us a story of, of how they found a way and how they made a path and how that journey has been from them going from dealing with that diagnosis personally to choosing to become public and become advocates in such a very real way. So let's get into this. Holly Robinson, Pete, joining us to talk about autism. Welcome to a fabulous episode of uh, Small Doses. You know, we have been making a practice of really leveling up uh, the interview. Uh, Leveling up is not the word, of expanding our interview base. And this is one of those times where this is not only somebody that I don't know, but somebody that I liked even before I knew them, right? Because Holly, you have to know, for a long time, the only people that interview on this show are people I like. <laughs> it would only be people I know. And I was like, I don't want to have to stress myself out. However, we have, you know, opened up the space because I was like, now I've been in pandemic. I don't even, I've, I've interviewed everybody I know. Uh, <laughs> you run out of people. So we are joined by the incomparable Miss Holly Robinson Pitch. Um, first of all, just like we could have done a whole just side effects of the black 90s of Hollywood, black Hollywood in the 90s episode, because you were there and you were a part of that in a very major way. Um, but that's not what we're going to do today. Today, we are going to do side effects of autism, which we have never talked about on this show because, well, one, the show has been very personal, um, for me in a lot of the topics. And I have never had the opportunity to be close to somebody that has autism. Um, I think I just found out that like a friend of mine has Asperger, like a, a friend of a friend of mine has Asperger's. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, the, the spectrum we has become more part of the zeitgeist of conversation. You know, I think, I would say as recent as like five years ago, that wasn't really like a a regular part of society's conversation, but people like you and the work that you've been doing have really brought autism into the conversation around um, 
you know, just social norms and how we need to break our expectations of those things and also raised awareness about autism and the different ways that it shows up and, you know, what we need to be expected to do. And I think one of the things that you mentioned off camera was just a lot of parents, how they get the diagnosis and it feels like a very bleak, um, you know, outcome and the work that you've been doing. I should let y'all know, I had asked Holly, like, you know, we can talk about a number of things. We can talk about your son, RJ, and his autism, but I know that may be too deep. And she was like, that's all I talk about. So. <laughs> I just got off two calls, uh, two two interviews, um, and especially this season, because it's April, right? right. We're pushing April. And um, Autism Awareness Month is like, that's, that's like when I really get out there and talk about it. Um, it is personal, but I remember when we were kind of outed in a way to talk about it. So RG was diagnosed 20 years ago. He's 23 now. And 20 years ago, there were so few resources and so few people talking about autism and its effects. And nobody was talking about the intersectionality between being black and having autism. Right. That was not a conversation. So I knew with my platform and my loquacious abilities that I should use that for good. And it was a big family discussion because my husband, former football player, macho guy, didn't want his son labeled as the kid with autism and the mm. autistic kid. And he just didn't want that for him. And he just, he, and there was a little bit of shame and denial mm. and all kinds of things going on. So um, it was a big deal to, to talk about it, to decide to talk about it back in 2000. And we really waited because we, we had our Holly Rod Foundation, but it was for Parkinson's disease, which my dad had. Okay. And, um, and my brother now has, which is a whole nother story. Like it's crazy, but uh, we wanted to expand our mission to autism because we saw how those families were suffering with no voice. Right. Well, but we didn't want to use RJ or put him on the spot or define his life for him. Right. That's a big deal. Right. So we had a family conversation about it. It was like a full on court case. My husband and I sat at a table. I presented my stuff. He presented his stuff, the pros, the cons. And I won that argument because I win every <laughs> goddamn argument <laughs> in the Pete household. My kids, everyone will know that mom, if mom, Mom's always right. So, but are you right because you like you're not even coming to the mat unless you're right, or are you right because you're just like I will not take now? Uh, well, in the evolution of my life, I have uh, I have now realized that I don't have to be right all the time. I used to just have to be right, but in this case, I was right as hell because right. if I hadn't spoken out and if I hadn't allowed people to talk about it, and so I said I was going to use my platform, but I was, but, but I didn't know how, like what, what to do and the whole thing. And so I never really talked about it that much from the time he was diagnosed when he was three to like about six or seven. And he was nonverbal. It was struggle. That, that whole time was a struggle, right? Because we and got the diagnosis and he was told he would never say, I love you. Never. We call it the never day. He would never say, I love you. He'll never have friends. He'll never mainstream in school. He'll never work, never have meaningful employment, never drive. I mean, they told us everything this boy would never do at three years old. And this is just like the pediatrician saying this? Yeah, developmental pediatrician who diagnosed him at three, three, just decided to run down this laundry list of things that this young man would never do and never be. Well, a baby at the time, not even a, I mean, he's just a baby. So it's, I mean, my question to you also is just as a mother, like, 
what were your, cause I mean, it's one thing to have, you know, you, you share your feelings with your partner and, you know, the experience, and that's a beautiful thing that you have someone to lean on, but then internally, like you also have your own individual, you know, feelings just in terms of as a mother and as the person who gave birth to the child. So like what journey did you have to go to in that, in those nevers, just in terms of your own personal dealings with it? Well, as a mom, I had to roll up my sleeves and go to work. I had to fight for him. Um, and where does he fall in your, cause you have a bunch of kids. Where does he fall? He's the old dad twins. Uh, the, uh, my daughter, Ryan and RJ, Ryan, who you just met off camera, Ryan and her and RJ are twins. They're 23. Okay. Gotcha. They were my firstborn. So I had okay. two, I immediately had two off the bat. So I was a rookie mom and with two babies at once, my husband was playing football. I was shooting sitcoms and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, what, what am I supposed to do? What, what am I, you know, it was crazy. Like right. to balance all of that. So getting the diagnosis just threw that other wrench in there. My husband was away playing football in denial. That was causing issues for us, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so there was a whole journey that we went through. And so all, while I was talking about raising my fists and being the, you know, the norm array of autism. I really didn't even know how to approach that because I was still grieving and dealing with stuff in my own life just because of like, how did he get it? Did I fail him? What did I do? There was no, we didn't know anything about causation. It was, it was a tough, tough, tough time. And I was working a lot, you know, on show. I was doing a show called For Your Love, which is, uh, was a, a sitcom, great sitcom. And it was tough. But I didn't really talk about it. I thought I was advocating, but then Essence Magazine came to my house to do a a story on me. And I, in my mind, because I talked so much about it to my friends, Mm -hmm. I realized I hadn't really said anything in the media about it. And I'll never forget, RJ was like flapping and stimming and doing his sort of autism things that he was doing at the time. And he was asking the lady questions, the reporter at my house. And, and and kind of asking you, did you fly here on a jet? Where did you come from? Was it a so at this point, he has proven that he's not nonverbal. Right. He got his language around seven or eight. So about this point, he was about eight or nine when she came to the house. Okay. This reporter for Essence. Um, and I had forgotten that I hadn't really made some grand announcement. Right. So she said she was looking at him kind of odd because he was doing kind of he had dip, weird, difficult, weird behavior. Basically, it was just different. Right. And I was like, oh, you know, he has autism. So, you know, and she was like, he does. And then the whole and I was like, forgot I was talking to a reporter. Ah, and next I thing that. I know, Essence is calling me going, well, we want to do a whole story about you as this autism mom. We were doing the story about you and your new show. But and I was like, oh, shit, I. I like outed him, but I didn't realize. So it all happened, but it was good. It was great. And then I did the cover story. I talked about that and I saw the response and I was like, see, this is what I was talking about, giving other people a voice. And then I went on the Oprah show and then I cried almost the whole way through, but that was amazing because that was the first time I talked about it on TV. Yeah. So um, the journey was crazy, but, but uh, you know, I love sharing it because RJ is now, 23 and he has a job. He drove to work this morning. <laughs> um, he's beautiful and loving and kind. He never had any friends growing up, but now he works for the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team. He has a whole family of these players that love him. And uh, it's a really cool story. So I think it's important to share because the last interview I was on before this, 
oh my God, Amanda, this lady was telling me about how, you know, she had just gotten a diagnosis and she doesn't know what she wants to do. She wants to divorce her husband because he's in denial. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I had a nice long talk with her. And sometimes when people see people in the public eye dealing with things, it's just super helpful. So yeah, it's been, it's been very uh, gratifying for me to share the story. I mean, and just, and, and thank you, because I think when you talked about, you know, shame, like that is not a light thing. Like that is really a heavy weight because it ends up feeling like it's trickling down to your child and, you know, especially in the black community. That was (laughs) I feel you. Oh, honey, let's cut right to it. My in-laws were like, you could, you know, can't you, you know, whoop it out of them or can't you? Well, that was what I was going to ask. I mean, you did, I mean, did you have any experience with autistic children or autism prior to this? So your, your education base was starting at zero. So where were your resources? Because what at the time you said there weren't that many. I didn't have any. I didn't. I knew of a couple of very famous people who I won't mention who ha- I knew had a kid on the spectrum, and I kind of knew them, and I wanted to reach out to some uh, to some of them, and then I knew through a friend, and you're like, oh, they don't talk about it, and I was like, okay, well, shoot, who am I gonna talk to then if they right. don't? You know, why is it this big secret? And so. I just didn't have any resources at all. So you're right. I was starting from scratch. I didn't know much about anything. So, uh, and we didn't really, it wasn't really, you know, googly then, right? This is 2000. Um, You know, we didn't have a lot of research. So that was another pro that I brought to the table to Rodney. And I said, nobody's talking about this. So we have to, like, we've got to start this conversation. Uh, So it was, there. I had no resources. None. So and I had nobody I could call. That's why I stay on the phone for so long with these new newly diagnosed parents. Because yeah. I had nobody to talk to. So how did you then find, find your way? Because, I mean, to go from never, 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 never to then, you know, him getting his language. I'm assuming that there was therapy in that time space and that you had to find, you know, find the resources. So how did you mine for those? And I want to, and it's important because as we're talking about autism, there's something else that somebody's dealing with that is also not being talked about yet. Right. And so like that, there's always new, these new things that end up becoming part of the zeitgeist that, you know, at the time that we're discovering something else, somebody else is feeling alone in that. And so maybe this can also help them in finding and mining resources. Yeah. Well, one in 54 children, you know, are, are have been diagnosed on the spectrum in America. That's, that is That's a, a lot of kids. Number. Okay. When RJ got diagnosed, it was like one in the, it's like one in 200 and something. That's 20 years ago. So I don't know. We are getting better at diagnosing and the, and the, and the spectrum is wide, okay. but something's going on and there's not enough resources for something that's so prevalent. And I thought, and I, that was, that was another one on my list of pros because I said, when we talk about it, we're going to bring awareness to it. And then maybe we'll be able to expand the resources. And then we're going to do this foundation. And my husband's like, Whoa, that's a whole lot. I just want, I just don't want my kid to be, the autistic kid, like right. that we cared about. Um, and so in the end it, you know, it just, it, it was been this slow drip of things that have happened, small wins and therapies. You talk about therapies, you know, the 
I didn't know anybody to call up when I got the diagnosis, but I did meet some angels along the way, like some angels on the path who said to me, A, you got to get in this little small window of time and you've got to Hmm. um, get all these therapies done and really got to reach in to get him out of himself. Like, you know, you have to get him to interact with you. You got to get him to interact with his twin sister. You've got to, there's so much you have to do right now. And time is of the essence. So that's when I rolled up my sleeves and I said, everybody else get out of my way, mm-hmm. including you, Rodney P. Cause he was getting on my nerves cause he was in denial. Mm-hmm. Everybody get out of my way. And I'm going to focus on RJ. And, and, and I knew I had this little window of time. I kept hearing this lady say, you got this, you know, you got to get in there. And she's saying it's a window of time because it's a developmental phase, right? Yeah. So the brain is developing. And so you got to get in there right now. He's three years old. And mind you, because a lot of parents, autism parents will understand this. When he was two, I knew in my gut something was up. I kept going to that pediatrician saying, he's not making contact with his sister. He's not responding to me properly, like something's up. But remember, I'm a rookie mom, so I don't know. I never knew. And he was so busy trying to go play golf with Rodney and stuff, this pediatrician, that he wasn't even like, oh, he's a boy. He'll be fine. You know, he don't compare him to his twin sister. So I knew it too. So I still, 20 years later, still beat myself up for the fact that that was intervention time that I missed Mm. all year. So, uh, if you know, as a mom, if there are any moms or dads out there and you know in your gut that something's going on with your yeah. child, get a diagnosis, you know, try to get a diagnosis because that is going to help your child in the end. It really is. It's going to help your child because you're going to be able to get a grasp on intervention and intervention early is key, key, key. Now you talked about how, you know, they were saying that the, the, thing is you got to pull him outside of himself. So I think just even on a basic level, can you give us just some information, some insight into what autism is? I think a lot of people don't even know what autism is. I mean, there, though it gets talked about more just in the general sense, it's not really like as clear as like breast cancer. Like we know what breast cancer is. So like what exactly is autism? Well, it's a developmental a disorder. It's not a disease. A lot of people think it's a disease. And listen, back in 2000, people were like, can you catch it? Like it was, that's how bad the information was. It's a developmental disorder. It's a spectrum disorder, which means you can go from being nonverbal and, and uh, really having difficulty making social connections all the way to the other end where you're highly, highly verbal and you can't, but you can't look someone in the eye and make a friend. So it's, it, but it, it has a lot to do with social language, connectivity, um, and feeling okay in your body. Like there's a whole sensory issue with autism. And so it's hard to explain, which is part of the reason why people don't really understand it. And that's the other reason why I wanted to show RJ's journey publicly, because I wanted people to see what one child with autism looks like and what it looks like with a family surrounding him with love and support and intervention. Um, so autism is, is difficult to, to explain because it's not real. Every kid with autism is different. So or every person I should say with autism, there's a saying in the autism community. If you met one person with autism, you've only met one person with autism <laughs> <laughs> because it's just like all over the place. But the one thing that I know is that, um, 
there are really great therapies that can help these kids. They're expensive. Um, a lot of kids in color, uh, communities of color are getting diagnosed too late mm-hmm. or not too late, but right. later than they should. So they're missing out right. on years of intervention. Um, and so there are a lot of things that intersectionality of these kids of color who have autism or any special needs are not always getting the resources that other communities are getting. So that was another on my list of cons and pros. Why I was <laughs> like, we got to support these other black kids that are in, that are that have autism that don't have the resources that we have or access to the resources. And then Holly Rod, our foundation, became really integral in that fight. What would you say are like key kind of like misdiagnoses that you've heard? I mean, you named some of them just now where it was like, you know, your doctor was just like, oh, he's a boy. Boys don't look people in the eye, which is like so wildly inaccurate. Um, (laughs) I'm just like, what? Uh, But what would you say are some of the other ones that you feel like, you know, have particularly also around like kids of color? Because I think that, you know, there's a, there's stigmas around black children that oftentimes, you know, end up hurting us in more ways than one by diverting us from the attention that we need about certain things. Absolutely. So, well, in our, in, in many black communities, I'm certainly not going to say in all of them, what happens is, you know, you end up having, um, the conversation about being bad. Okay. Mm. Is he just bad? Oh, your kid is so bad. I was in the the supermarket with RG when he was, when he was a little boy, he was on the ground, you know, back arched, having a real tough meltdown. And I remember this, this black woman walked past me. She said, Ooh, your child is so bad. And I said, he has autism and she's like, oh, whatever, and kept going, oh, okay, that's what we call it these days. So there is a definitely a disconnect in the mm. black community about being misbehaved, what's mis- misbehavior, and what is actually a developmental disorder that they cannot help, right? And so that's where the whole thing comes from, where some communities think that they can, um, you can discipline the autism out of the child. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do that. But, but that's something that we hear. So one of the things that I decided I wanted to do in my advocacy was go around to black churches because mm-hmm. you see a lot of autism in, in the congregation among their kids. And sometimes I'll just do a Q&A and right. they'll say, you know, well. What are some of the questions? What are some of the questions? Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, I think my sister's son is has autism, is autistic and she's in denial and she thinks, and, and, and she doesn't have any support. What do I do? You know, or, or, or how do I get my parents to look at this as something that is real and not something right. I've made up in my mind or some fault of my parenting or something. Mm. So these are all the kinds of things that I hear. And I'm always like, first of all, you need to build a team around your child. So team RJ is so strong. Why? Because when you're gone, whether you're just physically not in the, city or place or you're dead you Mm got to have somebody around who knows your child who understands your child who understands his quirks what he likes what he eats there's so many things 
Because I know the, the the particulars and like sticking to the particulars, I do know that that is like a really important part of dealing with an autistic child in person, like not swaying from routine. Ooh, and routine goes out of the way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Routine is so important, which is one of the reasons why my son not being employed by the Dodgers for a year was driving him nuts. Like his mental health was really bad last year in 2020 because he didn't make the COVID bubble. So he couldn't be in contact with the, with the uh, uh, players and stuff. Yeah. Routine is tough. So when you break that routine up, it's tough. So you have to have someone that understands how your child moves through life. That's very hard. It's hard enough to get somebody to babysit for you (laughs) anyway. Right. Or watch your kids, come watch your kids, but someone who understands may not be in your family. That might just be a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. You know, Auntie Terry is on Team RJ and Terry is Terry Ellis from In Vogue and she's my bestie and she's amazing and, and stuff. But like she gets RJ in a way that is amazing. She has no children and she is just that unencumbered auntie who is like mm-hmm. all about it. And they love her. They've grown up with her. They know her. She's their godmother. But she understands his autism. And she understands who he is and how he moves to the world. So I'm always telling people, and I did it at these churches and a lot of my public appearances about autism, to build a team around your child, continue to build that team, because in the end, you'll have this group of people that are looking out for your child. Um, but yes, we have a long way to go in our community to accept and acknowledge any kind of mental health or dis- disorders that exists because we don't like to talk about mental health. We don't like to talk about therapy and therapists. We don't like to talk about stuff because that's not how culturally we were raised in a lot of cases. How did Rodney come around? What do you think brought him around? When my divorce lawyer called him. Ah, damn. <laughs> I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Yo. I got so gangsta in the middle of this and the autism moms and dads will understand. You become a different person when you have to advocate for a child with any kind of special needs because you come up against the most trifling people Mm. and you don't have the bandwidth to have to explain to everybody just basic common decency and understanding, right? It's very hard. So Rodney went into denial in a way that was just so just so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> I can't worry about you and oh, he's not, he's playing football. Oh, all the other kids' sons, all the other sons are in the locker room and you know, getting autographs from the other players and throwing the ball and catching the ball. And RJ spin around flapping and humming. I'm like, oh well, that's your son. That's your son. And so he had to come around in a way that was very difficult for him. But I did. I said, I can't. You can you can come out of denial and figure this out on your own because okay. I am busy with this boy. I have a little bit of time and I can't tiptoe around your little issues about your son is not who you thought he was going to be. I mean, and then if I had to go back, though, Amanda, I would have been nicer. I would have been a little more understanding. And I would have about been what more- particularly about just <laughs> like the, his feeling. It's a black man who has a son. His name is, they have the same name. It's, you know, he's got these visions and, and goals and, and dreams and expectations for who his son's going to be. And I get yeah, that. But, you know, listen, it's the same thing that you were like, you know, I, f- I beat myself up to this day because I feel like I missed a year. It's like, this still ends up being, 
Black women always end up having to be like the saviors of everything and everybody in every situation. And that's why I asked you, what were you, what did you do? And you still said I had to put up my, you didn't even say that you did anything for you. You were like, no, I just had to put up my sleeves and get focused um, on RJ and putting everything into RJ. And I know that at some point in therapy or on Oprah's couch, you were like, but what about me? And it's like, I think we just get taught to believe that if we're, if we're dealing with ourselves, we're in the way of, of helping the people that we love. Absolutely. Um, and this is all in hindsight. In real time, I was doing what I was supposed to do, which was take care of this boy. Absolutely. And if he came along for the ride, meaning dad, all good. Um, but he wrote a book about it, you know, because he really wanted to write a book about like his journey because fathers, black fathers, fathers in general tend to really struggle with this diagnosis. They really do. A lots of marriages split up. And so I think the thing that saved us is that I was working on one coast and he was working on the other and I didn't have to deal with him. Um, cause I, I would dog ear pages of things and talk about therapies and be researching and send him a book. When was, I sent him a, a, a package of everything just turnkey for him. I went up to the football city we were in. I forget which one. It might've been Oakland. I saw that package under the bed hadn't even been opened. I was like, okay. And that's when he got the call. Cause I did, I, I literally, I'm, I literally talked to my lawyer and I said, I don't know how to move forward like this. I need him on my team. He can't be in the middle. Yeah. Um, this gotta be team RJ. You're on or you're off. And so he woke up real quick. So he, he, he ended up, you know, going to these therapy sessions and, and there was a moment for him. And I tell the story because I want other dads to hear that they can get to the other side of this. Mm-hmm. And he got, he, he was, uh, there was a therapist who was connecting with RJ during, with this um, therapy called floor time. And you get on the floor and you literally connect with the child in a, mm-hmm. a playful way, but there's some steps to it. It was in them damn books that I sent to Oakland that you didn't open. <laughs> Why are you talking about you don't know? It was in the books. I digress. Anyway, so he was like, didn't know, right? I said, well, it was in the books. And I hung him out there, Amanda. I sat back. And this therapist was like, okay, Ronnie, so now get on them. You talk to RJ. Now it's your turn. Um, your wife said she sent you the book. The lady <laughs> read the books. Okay, he got on the floor and he was so embarrassed. And Rodney is a quarterback. So he, oh, that's the energy. Honey, yes. So he's in control. He done read yes. the saves. He's prepared. His biggest fear is being unprepared for something. He studies, he looks at film. So when he got on that floor, once prepared and got embarrassed and saw, and then when he was doing it all wrong, and then the lady got down and said, Oh, no, this is how you do it. And then RJ responded, Oh my God. Can't have that. But you know what? Whatever it takes, right? Like sometimes you gotta be- embarrass him. And you know, quite frankly, I'm just glad that I'm glad that he stepped up. I'm glad that he documented it. I'm glad that he had the wherewithal to come out because I do think a lot of men really got learned a lot from his his thing. But you know, it's all good. He's he he he's so on board, and he's been on board for years. But as RJ has become a young man, a young black man and doing things that they said he would never do, one of, one of which is driving. 
every time this boy gets in that car, yeah, I can't sleep. Right. Stuff that keeps me up at night, a recurring nightmare. I've always had since Trayvon Martin that, you know, I had this, I had the same recurring nightmare of someone, a, a kid gets shot. He's on the ground. He's face down. He's got a hoodie on. And then when you turn him over, it's like the George Zimmerman scenario, but then you turn him over and it's RJ's face. Like I, 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 have, I have not been able to let go of this uh, recurring nightmare for years. When he started driving, you know, then I realized, okay, now, now it's time to start like talking about that intersectionality and how we deal with police right. because I had cops come to the house, show RJ where to put his hands. Oh, because, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I'm like, I'm not putting you in a car until okay. you know how to do this at the other. Cause you're not going to be no hashtag. That's not going to happen. Now, so. Is he fully cognizant of like the immensity of what you're telling him uh, or is it more so just teaching like he's like, he, he's like so the order of events yes yes just like the therapies just like floor time just like aba therapy which many many applied behavioral analysis which right. autism families watching would know what that means you teach them by rote things and that yeah. helps them cope in life um, it still means even when RJ goes to work and he does what he's supposed to do and he shows up on time and he lines up the, the, the uniforms the way he needs to do it and all that. When he comes home, he's got to get on that trampoline and jump for two hours in order to get right in his body. Really? We, I thought, I think I saw. <laughs> I was about to say, I want to come over and jump. Dude, he, she, he jumps in that trampoline for two straight hours. He is six three or whatever he is. And he jumped and he jumped. Girl, he done worn out so many trampolines. He jumps because it's his stemming. It's what it's the self-stimulating behavior that many people with autism need to do to get right in their bodies, to regulate their bodies. I have always felt like I have a touch of Asperger's. You may. Some of us have. So first of all, let me tell you this. Every time I hear somebody with Asperger's talk about their shit, I'm like, that sounds um, Amanda, really familiar. You may. And that ain't a bad thing. Sometimes, you know, because you are so articulate and so the ability for you to talk the way you talk and the way your brain works, you may. Um, I've noticed that about you, if I'm really being honest. When I see the way you are able to communicate and talk and connect it's it's pretty amazing and some of the people who i think are some of the best most brilliant people have been diagnosed with asperger so um I mean, and then the break from routine stuff like i've had to like just by hook or by crook reach a point in life where i can not get so bent out of shape but like things bend me out of shape that for other people are just nothing. And like, it's, and it's them, those type of things, like moving something. Okay. I'm gonna, so I have an old Huffy bike from when I was like six that my mother has had in the, in the backyard, leaned up against a tree since what? 1989. And the other day she threw it away. What? 
bent out of shape. I didn't even know why I was so like, and then I'm like trying to get to the bottom of it. And I'm like, I think it's just because it's moved. Like it's like, like the shifting of things for me is. It's it's routine. It's what you've been used to. And it feels like uh, it can feel like an invasion and, and of your life because it can feel like a, an interruption of something and it doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but it's like, wait, cause that's part of what you come to expect. So when you walk in there and you see that bike leaning against that tree, you, 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 you associate that with routine in your life and a sense of safety and a sense of comfort and a sense of routine and like what goes on in your life. So it's highly possible. I know so many people who have been diagnosed with Asperger's late in life or being on the spectrum late in life. The thing about being on the spectrum is that your brain works differently, right? So mm-hmm. you process things differently. That's all it really means. Yes. Um, it just depends on how your ability to communicate and your ability to connect with people. And when I see what RJ is and who he is now, um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. He, he's, so beautiful. He's fine. My son is fine. Okay. He is. This is a fact. Okay. Is a fact. Your whole family's fine. I said it before. I'm going to say it again. Your whole family's fine. If everybody's pretty. But when I took RJ, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I because he's this boy that I've been, you know. Protecting and preserving. And yes. Snowplow, snow mom. I'm moving everything out of the same <laughs> way. And one day I went to this Hollywood party at a house. And I think the girls from the, oh, what's the name of the group? Yes, yes. What's in- it was Fifth Harmony. I know exactly. Fifth Harmony. Thank you, Ryan <laughs> Pete. <laughs> Camilla Cabello, c- c- right? Camilla Cabello, um, Oh, girl, Normani. Thank you, Steve. Oh, Normani. Well, yeah. yeah. They were all. They were all in this group. Some of them, like three or four of them, or whatever, showed up at this house at this party, and they were looking over in my direction, and I was. <laughs> you're thinking they're looking. You're like hanging with Mr. Cooper. <laughs> Maybe they're old 21 Jump Street fans. Yes. Girl, they was looking at my son. And and and, and RJ is so like oblivious. oblivious. He, and he goes, Oh mom, the, the ladies, the girls from the from the Fifth Harmony wanted to talk to me. And they were just, and they were just like, You're so and they came up to me like, Your son is so sweet. And I said, Well, you know, I messed his game all the way up. I was like, Well, you know, he has autism. I'm always having <laughs> You know, he doesn't always communicate. They were like, he was communicating just fine. fine. So you threw the block this game. But my point about that is that like, he he still doesn't want to, I asked him, you want a girlfriend? Not ready. He's scared to communicate with a, he's still worried about how he's going to communicate in life. But this is a child that cannot lie. He doesn't know how to lie. He's so pure and so amazing. So this is why I worry about him in the world. And especially if he interacts with the police, because I don't want them to mistake his quirkiness and his differences for being difficult. We all all saw what happened to Elijah McClain. Yes. Boy that keeps me up at night. Yes. And, and so RJ, I think you were asking about this. RJ latches onto those stories. Like Elijah, Mm. mom, why did they kill him? Yes. Yes. That's what, yeah. He he la- he 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 finds a kinship. I don't know if Elijah was on the spectrum. I don't know that, but I'm just—he's a pure kid, pure soul, and sweet, loving boy like mine, and the same age, the same age. So RJ is very aware. 
that people are being killed during mental health calls when the police people the police are called yeah. to come check out their kid with mental health they're ending up dying in their grandfather's basement or whatever in their houses and so he's super worried about that and so when he so when i had cops come over and teach him how to be if you get stopped it still didn't keep you know still didn't keep me from having that recurring nightmare that what do you think would? I mean, I mean that I think that's my mother has told me that she hasn't had a good night's sleep since July 1st, 1981. That is my birthday. Facts, facts. That's it. You just you don't, you don't. You, you just worry about your kids, but there's an extra level of worrying of about a black man, a black boy, young man with autism out in the world with policemen who are shooting first and asking questions later. Like well, so and I've been and I've been told that women with autism are easier or have a better time at masking. Um, and that, you know, it just, I guess something about men with autism, it, it's, it seems to present in a more well, prevalent way. In my experience with the families that we serve and that we've met, well, first of all, it's like five to one, there's like almost four or five times more boys with autism. Why is that? I do not know. Oh, wow. Okay. So girls are not impacted as prevalently, but they do, it, it is different the way it presents. Mm. But yet I've spent time around a lot of young women, some nonverbal and the issues that they deal with, with sexual abuse, yes, getting their cycles. How do you deal with that? Um, you, there's a whole nother layer, layer of protection you have to put around them. So in the end, you know, it, as a mom, you just want to do whatever you can to protect your child, but you have these other little extra things you have to see along the way. Um, and I just, you know, I always say this thing and it, people think it's corny, but I always say that I wouldn't change RJ for the world, but I would try to change the world for RJ. Mm -hmm. Right. I wouldn't, I, I want to change these situations. So I've been talking to police departments before Kamala Harris became vice president. I talked to her right when she got elected Senator about doing something called RJ's law, which would put on driver's licenses an acknowledgement that ah. is on the spectrum. Yes. So this isn't a new but thing. No. There's a young lady, there's a young, a mom in Virginia who passed a law in the name of her son that does just this. So I wanted to do that in California. And as soon as, you know, our attorney general became a Senator, I was like, Oh, it's on and popping now. And then of course, the whole, as soon as she got in there, it was just playing defense against Trump and of all course. the stuff you had to deal with. So we weren't able to get motion on it, but we we are going to move forward with yeah. RJ's law because I think it's very, very important. Now, absolutely. will that stop or change the interfacing between a cop and someone with autism? Who knows? It may or may not, but at least it's that extra layer, I think. Yeah, of course. But also, they also have to have the training too. Like you just can't. Right. So there's is, a lot of things. But there's that, a lot of things happening at once. I mean, I think hope is, it springs eternal, um, you know, in terms of trying to consider all of the moving parts that need to happen for this world to just be a better place for everyone, let alone for those like RJ who may have this thing impacting them that other folks are not necessarily as conscious or as compassionate about, right? Right. Um, so tell me this. 
Just, what was it like for RJ learning how to drive? Like, tell me about what that was, because I just, I know that's stressful for parents, even when they're dealing with a child that doesn't have a behavioral, um, what's the proper term? Disorder? Disorder. Yeah. The disorder, okay. dis- um, delay. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, yeah, again, we were told you would never drive. So, um, what we did learn the takeaway we got was that you can actually, if you have autism, you can take an oral test. Okay. So testing for RJ, he could never do at school. It was just so like, right. And like looking at the multiple choice and yeah, that's like Charlie Brown teacher for him. Like he can't, but he could respond orally to things. Okay. So when you took an oral test, which some DMVs provide, others don't, we had to find that out. Um, that's how he was able to, to pass the test and then the pass the written part. And then um, what I found was that he was a very good driver. I mean, the biggest thing for me was just his distractions and making sure he wasn't distracted, but that's all my kids, right? I want to make sure right. they're not distracted. So did you teach him? Did Rodney teach him? I didn't have the, the, neither one of us had the patience to teach him. And when we would get upset, it would just get upset for upsetting for him. So we called little Valley Bobs, the little, little Valley Bobs, little <laughs> local uh, drive. And we explained to, you know, I me, mean, my son is autism. You know, I had explained it. He was like, oh, great. And he found a great teacher. And, you know, they know how to do that. They're, they're a teacher for a reason. And he learned and he was great. Now he, he, the first time the written, he failed. Second time he failed. And then we found the oral, he found, took the oral passed and then passed uh, the driver's part. When I tell you it was a, oh my gosh, it was a moment. All I could hear was that lady telling me in my head over and over again that he will never drive. And RJ was motivated by that. Mom, what did that doctor say? What did that doctor say? I said that you would never drive. And he was like, put up his driver's license. (laughs) So, I mean, he really gets like his place in being uh, an inspiration. He doesn't always like it when I drag him out to an autism event. Right. No, he don't always want to do that, but he gets, he gets that his story gives other people hope, you know, and that that's really important. When did you know that it was going to be okay? Ooh, I knew, well, I was told it was going to be okay when RJ was five, a beautiful, unbelievable black woman named Dr. Pam Wiley, who I always shout her out. She's a speech and language therapist in Culver City. She was the first person that made me feel like it was going to be okay. And she told me as much. She told me. What did she do to make you feel that way? Like what, I mean, it was it that, was it specific to RJ or was it just in general? Like, oh no, it was a specific to RJ, but it was just a life moment where I went to her and I was crying because our therapies were not going well. And RJ was just doing stuff and he almost got hit by a car and he ran in the street and he wasn't listening to me. And I wasn't able to uh, just deal with him uh, in ways he would hide and we wouldn't be able to find him. And now, by the way, he loves to tell these little stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, remember when I went out on the roof, you couldn't find me for three hours. I'm like, yeah, you know. <laughs> You know, I mean, I'm like, oh my God, that made me, but Dr. Wiley said to me, it's going to be okay. You're going to adapt to his world and you're going to be able to help him develop 
to wherever he goes, but you're going to be able to get him there. And if he only goes this far, you're going to go there with him and you're going to develop a team. She was the one that kept saying, develop that team around him of people that have his back. Mm -hmm. And that was the first moment where I kind of believed it, but I don't think I really, really believed it. It may, it may, it may be, I think the moment where um, he got his job, when he got a job and the whole Dodgers organization did like a, a, a little like package on him, like a video package on, on autism awareness night. And I, I was standing out there. They asked me to sing the national anthem for autism awareness night. And then they brought RJ out and he was standing behind me in the Dodger uniform. And I was like, <laughs> it was autism night. And with all these kids with autism in the Dodger stadium. And then there was my son would, you know, gainfully employed. And I'm getting teary eyed. <laughs> no, I mean, it was a culmination of moments. And I was like, well, okay. I know I'm still going to run into some things here and there, but this, at this moment, like, this is, this is really great. And, and then even bigger was our ability with Holly Rod Foundation to help others get to their goals and to get others hired. And when we, when we got 20 of our kids hired at Outback Steakhouse and, and when we went to dinner there and they served us and like seeing them just what these jobs bring these people. When companies hire ex- inclusively, it brings so much to not just that person that they hired, but also their entire workforce. Yeah. Like, you know, you go to the store, you, I go to the little Gelson's around the corner and there's a young man there who has autism. And when he, I get in his line, I find which line he's in because I want to talk to him and connect with him and everyone loves him. And then just same with RJ. Whenever- just a side note, for those who ain't from LA, Gelson's is a grocery store. <laughs> and I'm oh actually, yeah. I'm actually yeah. going there immediately following this interview <laughs> and by the way let's be real it's a bougie grocery store okay i wasn't gonna say it but you said it guy i wasn't gonna say it i but definitely you know, almost our, our LA bought 25 cherries there and I, the, the lady was like these are 25 dollars i'm like you know i don't even know how you got cherries for 25 dollars for sale send them back so girl yes, I, a bougie I don't even want to tell you the over-the-top, expensive, exotic fruit that but I have. I feel like we're talking about the same Gelson's. The one over in the which one? The Encino one? <laughs> because there's a because there's an autistic bagger at my Gelson's, and I go in his line too. It might be that one because I have seen, but I they've been really good, and I've talked to their manager. There used to be a sister there that managed it. I think she moved to another location, and I would always see her, and I was like, "Do y'all do this at other locations?" And she said, "Yes." So they are part of the hire inc- inclusively, you know, yeah. and that's what we're doing right now. And I want to tell your listeners and you, the people that that watch you to um, go to deliveringjobs.org if. You know someone with autism, downs, special needs, some kind of differently abled situation Mm -hmm. to go to deliveringjobs.org because I've partnered with them to just get the word out. It's a resource that I did not have even seven years ago when I was trying to find a job for RJ. He was going to work at a bird store. He was going to, he loved birds. And so he, and then he went over to the bird store every day after school and high school. So Oh, he was going to work at Witch Witch because Rodney knew a manager there. My mom said, no, he needs to be a model because my grandson is fine. He needs to be a model. <laughs> and then out of no, and we were chronicling this on our show for Pete's sake. Yeah. And then 
someone from the Dodgers like literally saw for peace sake was like, is he really looking for a job? Cause we might have something for him. And that's how he ended up getting this, this amazing job. So deliveringjobs.org is uh, there's a, a website that is a resource um, to, for not just people that we're trying to get jobs for, but also the employers. So both sides. So you can, if you're an employer, you can go to delivering jobs and list that your corporation is able to hire. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to Holly Rod, yeah. uh, you just talked about delivering jobs. What else, you know, is, is Holly Rod up to that you want us to know about? So we spent years building RJ's place. It is a bricks and mortar center, compassionate care center down in, cause kind of near Glendale um, in LA, in the LA area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's housed within a huge giant Goodwill facility. And there are other smaller nonprofits in there, great nonprofits that are in there too. And um, RJ's place is where we do job training. We hold job fairs. We have compassionate care seminars and uh, support groups for autism and Parkinson's families. Cause we still serve that community too. My dad, who, if you're, you wouldn't remember, he wouldn't be your Gordon on Sesame street, but he would be Gordon, the Gordon on Sesame street for folks, my, my age and up, <laughs> like in their fifties, late forties. Um, he was the original Gordon on Sesame street. And I'm very proud of that. And I always mention that because he didn't always get his flowers when he was here for, right. for what he brought to that show. Um, and how he kicked off that show. He was the first person you saw in episode one. It was, hi, I'm Gordon and welcome to Sesame Street. And he introduced the world to Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch and Grover and Ernie and Bert. And so he was amazing. And he got Parkinson's disease in his 40s. Wow. And it just was so aggressive. And so just shout out to the families who are dealing with Parkinson's because it's also very prevalent. Yes. And my brother now uh, has Parkinson's as well. So um, we are supporting those families. Uh, We support them with caregiving support. We give them information on treatment um, and awareness. And so RG's Place does all that. And it's really a great place. And of course, right as we're opening it and bringing people in, pandemic hit last year. And so now we're just starting to get it up and going. So, so proud of RJ's place. We built that place. Thanks. Shout out to, got to shout out the people, shout out to Magic Johnson who helped us put them last few bricks on there. And so many people who supported us, Cigna, Microsoft. And by the way, these are all organizations that are hiring inclusively. Um, and Steakhouse, you know, uh, so Holly Rod has been, around for over 20 years. And it has been like my fifth child girl. It, <laughs> who running a nonprofit is very, very difficult and very thankless work. Uh, but it's been, it's been, it's been a blessing beyond. Well, this interview has been a blessing beyond. And I just feel like so many folks who are listening right now, you know, I did an episode about egg freezing and there were so many people who were like, you know, I, I, no one around me talks about this. And I think this is the same thing with autism, like you said, where are particularly amongst the black community, it, there's a there's a, a gag order, you know, it's taboo. It's because it's this, it feels like a weakness or like a, a lesser 
you know, like a, a person that's not at the same quality. And it's like, this is not it. I wish we could just see each other for like, from a place of love every time. Right. And, well, just and that's one of the reasons why that. I wanted to be so public about RJ. Cause he's so beautiful and so sweet and loving. And I just want to, wanted to put a face on autism, you know, just one face. And I wanted to talk about these topics and talk about police and driving and discrimination and what happens to, you know, special needs trusts and things like that, that we weren't talking about. So I miss having that platform of that reality show, which was, you know, it's never easy to do a reality show with your family, Lord knows, but we were able, (laughs) I was going to say that the fact that, that there wasn't a second set of divorce papers sent after doing a reality show, because I feel like that's always like, oh, they, they might've been, there might've been a first draft. <laughs> First draft. That, that reality um, show can test the relationship. Woo, yes, yeah. it can. But we got so much out of it and we got so much like there is a viral clip of RJ asking me, Do I have autism still? That is chills you to your body. I mean, it brings tears because it's such a real moment. So we were able to mine some really amazing heart print, heartfelt moments on the Oprah on own when we were on own and also on Hallmark Channel. We were even able to fly in a man named Charles Kinsey, who was shot by police in Florida while he was protecting his young man yes. with autism. Yes. Um, he brought Charles Kinsey in and we talked about while he was sitting vision. down with his arms up, with his arms up, laying on his back, mm-hmm. explaining that the young man had autism and was holding a truck. It was not a gun, which clearly the police were in such close range. They could clearly see, but that I could talk forever about that. But we brought Charles in and that became a round table with police. And we were able to really, and Dr. Wiley, the one who I said is oh, my, yeah. my angel in the past since RJ was five. And, um, and, and now she started bringing young people with autism together to, um, you know, to talk about how to be around the police. So, so many good things have happened from that meeting with Rodney and I that I won, that I was right, because <laughs> because we were able to spread and talk about these things. But that was, you know, a long time ago. And I still think, like you said, there's still so much more. So I really appreciate, especially in honor of April Autism Awareness Month, yeah, to be able to talk about these things. And I tell people to go to hollyrod.org to check out, you know, some of the things we're doing. Um, also, Stella, I got so many .orgs, stella.com. We have these new bracelets for Holly Rod Foundation that people are purchasing and jewelry that they uh, can purchase and support us. Um, and, um, you know, I'm just really happy to be able to have these conversations and I just appreciate you, your platform. I did see your egg freezing. Um, I know many people who've had to experience that and you're right. It's so important to have these conversations and to make people just feel like they have a place to be heard and seen. Exactly. The last dose. Heard, seen, that you have agency, you have choice, all of these things. I thank you for being so um, transparent and open and, you know, giving us a, a glimpse into your experience and your journey. And, you know, you've been in the press a lot lately and everybody, I, I mean, yeah. I'm glad to see that people are, are, even though it's like some fuck shit, that it brings people back around to Holly Rod, like, because... Yo, that is the the best part about this, is that you're somebody who I've known from afar, watch your work, I think you're dope, and all that, but when... 
Girl, when I tell you my mama has that viral clip, which must have 2 million views already, when you <laughs> certain people have it, we're not going to rehash it. My mama has that on a loop. That is her <laughs> daily affirmation. Do you hear me? And uh, because of that, we started connecting. Yeah. And I just really, you're right. Like those things happen authentically. And then we didn't know what we were going to talk about today. We were just like, we just know we vibe. Let's just talk. And yeah. then you were like, are you okay talking about autism? I'm like, oh, honey, I got my <laughs> autism jazz hands ready to go. Um, but I appreciate you, Amanda Seals. If everybody... If you don't already feel the love, the way you the way you don't have any fucks to give and the way you do that in such a um, meaningful and articulate and beautiful way and gangsta way. It's like it's so helpful to somebody, not just my situation and what went down, um, but but it was so helpful to to hear you and the way you talk about things. So. I know that for a fact that uh, people have called me. People have keep sending me that one clip as if I have not seen it nine million times. Like, Girl, you need to watch this. But the one thing I do want to say is that when that went down, it was my children that called me in Vancouver when I was shooting and working on this movie and said, Mom, I don't know if you remember what happened 10, 11 years ago, but we do. And you need to speak up. It was my children that said, you have to speak out and stand in your truth. And the timing is, this is right now, right now. So I give them all the props and I did it. And I'm so proud I did. And whatever happens next, we'll see. But that brought us together. And thank you for having me on this podcast. Thank you for joining us and shout to your kids because you raised some gangsters who reminded you, you gangster mom, come on, speak your shit, talk your shit. Keep on doing everything you're doing. I'm so glad that we can put people on to Holly Rod and, um, you know, continue the good fight. Thank you, baby. Love you. Love you. Let me tell y'all, Holly is a G. Like, (laughs) when she said, when he got them divorce papers, like, I love when people come on this show and I feel like they just know that they can be real and keep it a buck. And that was a full buckery that was kept. So much, so much, so much that I learned in that conversation. I feel like, you know, what we're really trying to do with Small Doses in our in our evolution is bringing you all conversations and information that... Um, that may not seem like it has any relevance to you, but ultimately does because we all live in the society together, right? So thank you to Holly Robinson Pete for joining us and for also dropping them little gems at the end in relation to the Sharon Osborne of it all because I told her that we don't have to go into that, but you know, she she felt like it was it was fine. It was important. And I feel like, you know, we have all definitely been, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us have been definitely following the story of Sharon Osbourne and her fuckery and foolery. And I became even more focused on like making sure that this woman be exited when I saw that she had a prior, what's the word I'm looking for? Infraction, I should say, of referring to Holly Robinson as ghetto. Um, so, you know, ding dong, uh, she's out of here. And so thankful for Holly for just being completely 100 with us and really happy to hear about the success of her son um, getting a job and driving and and really being able to move through that diagnosis um, in a consistent fashion. So shout out to everybody who's listening that also 
may be dealing with autism in their immediate circle. And I hope this episode, at the very least, gave you not only information, but hope in knowing that it's going to be all right. Stop and a podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network.